Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges and whimsy. Brought to you by Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. This is episode 109. I'm Amanda Earle, and I'm here with guest, a return guest, Dennis Cooley. Hi, Dennis. Welcome back. Hello. Good to see you. Good, good to be back. Yeah, thanks for coming back on the show. Dennis was here back in, uh, actually, November 2020. It was episode 69, and we're now at 109. So you can see we've we've done quite a few episodes since yours, Dennis, but I'm really happy to have you back. So. Okay, for sure. 40 points further on. 40 points further on. That's it. Yeah. And so I will have um, uh, in the show notes, I will have links to everything, but um, we're going to be talking primarily. Um, uh, we'll probably go off on tangents, but about Body Works, which is Dennis's new uh, poetry book that came out this year with the University of Calgary Press. So we'll have a link to that. I'll also have a link to the uh, episode uh, that we did back in November 2020, which I really encourage people to listen to. It was a really great, it was a lot of fun. It was, and it's a really yeah, yeah. Episode and it's all about the three books that you, you that you uh, that were launched uh, that year. So you, that year it was three books. So <laughs> okay, I can hardly remember. There you go. That was what it was. And then um, another great resource is your conversation that you had with um, Patrick of Historia Canadiana. So I've, I'll put that link up as well, so people can uh, can watch that. And finally, Rob McLennan did a write up on Body Works, and I'll include that on his blog. So I'll include that as well. So that, those okay. are the those. Are, that was my googling for Body Works. That was what I found, and, and other than the main uh, stuff from U of Calgary. So here's a, a small bio for for Dennis. Dennis Cooley has lived his creative life on the prairies, where he has been a poet, publisher, teacher, critic theorist, anthologist, reviewer, organizer, mentor. He was a founding member and three times president of the Manitoba Writers Guild, founding editor with Turnstone Press, and a professor at St. John's College at the University of Manitoba. And my, my first question for you, Dennis, is is there anything you'd like to add about yourself that isn't in the official bio? This is this is not like a some kind of weird talk show where it's like, now spill your, you know, spill your <laughs> if there's just anything else you'd like to talk about in that about yourself in any way. Yeah, um, I, uh, for several different, uh, uh, several different times, taught and read and did workshops in Europe. Uh, and uh, there must have been a dozen of those at one time or another. Three times I taught Canadian literature in the summers in, in, in Germany. So there's been that kind of kind of activity and it spills into the books a bit too yeah. uh, in this book alone i think there are three or four pieces that have come out of those kind of literary and academic travels so it's been a kind of an important part of my experience that uh to me at least i don't know if it's of any interest to any readers but there it is oh no that that's interesting and yeah there were some words i remember that and and do you speak german at all or do you well i i learned a little bit of tourist german food right. directions numbers colors uh, greetings, the uh, but that that's been a ways back now, and even that feeble as it was is now uh, closer to erosion. Huh? Right, I took German in in uh, in high school and and then first first year university I did, but uh, that was a oh, long okay. ago. So 
it's 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 I do know a few things still, but I'm not very much. Mostly I know how to say I don't know. I, I haven't spoken German in a long time, which is helpful. Yeah, ich habe kein Deutsch gesprochen seit langem. There you go. That's my, my sentence. I can say that in Italian, too, I think. But uh, yeah, so that's good. So and body works. What would you like listeners to know about body works? Well, people are talking about modern culture, North American culture, whatever, often say that we're, we're materialist. And we are in the sense of, of consuming things, consuming products and, and goods, uh, but we're, we're not, when it comes to the philosophical sense of the word, we're all, almost anti-materialist because mm -hmm. the, see the body and the embodied world is as uh, fallen or inferior or dangerous or diseased, lacking, uh, there's something uh, insufficient or wrong about the, the the physical world when you set this alongside in the hierarchies of the mental, the spiritual uh, world. My sympathies enormously run with the body, party, and in, in, in resistance to that kind of um, uh, uh, sense of the world. So the book, in many ways, in my view, was a kind of celebration of the body, uh, a, uh, a making a case for the body. It's a, as a site of pain and discomfort, yes, but also a, a lot of, of joy. And uh, the point where I'd say that the uh, that it's got to happen, there's not going to happen at all. When I was about to publish the book, I'd gathered a bunch of good epigraphs, wonderful epigraphs that I wanted to include. And the publisher told me, understandably, almost predicted me, well, we need permission on these things. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do this, we'll try to run these things down. But I'll, I'll read to you one or two of the epigraphs to give you an idea of what I was after, what I think I had. Here comes from uh, Paul Valerie uh, of the body, talking about the body. We speak of it to others as of a thing that belongs to us. But for us, it is not entirely a thing, and it belongs to us a little less than we belong to it. <laughs> uh, and that runs through the text that uh, here the body with its agencies, its complaints, its aspirations, uh, and various forces that are, are are impinging upon it, seeking to deny it or blunt it or whatever. So that kind of uh, pattern running through that through it. Uh, it uh, a few other dandy ones too that I really liked. Uh, one from uh, William Wordsworth, and one from W. H. Auden. Here, well, here's 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 uh, here's uh, Wordsworth. But in the very world, which is the world of all of us, the place in which, in the end, we find our happiness, or not at all. Again, it's just, yes, that's my sense here. Uh, 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 if you don't live in this world, you're going to lose it. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's uh, one thing I remember from um, the uh, the uh, conversation you had with Patrick on Historia Canadiana is that there were some connections between the the body and also the planet that I thought there were some interesting. He drew he drew some links between that, and I was interested. I I hadn't really thought about that when I when I read it, so that was good to uh, to think about it from that point of view after I read it again. So <laughs> yeah, well, it's the interconnectedness, isn't it? Yeah. I, I guess if if there's a subsuming uh, uh, layer to whatever, I guess for me it's 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 a it's a kind of an ecological one, the interrelatedness of everything. That's right. And, uh, yeah. and material world, materials, the material world moves in us and around us. Mm 
Uh, so that's in the cosmos. It's in the small creatures nearby. It's in the air, whatever. That the, there's that. Uh, I don't know. What is it? Uh, this matrix in which through which we uh, all existence moves or settles. Yeah. I guess it's always moving. Yeah, we're always moving in in this this entity that's always moving in something else that's always moving. So. Yeah, that's it. And you also, I mean, you have a lot of, we're, we'll talk more about uh, metaphor, but there are some uh, metaphors um, relating the body to to larger, like to things like constellations and, and things like that. There's a mention of constellation and different things like that. So so it's there. We're, we are all connected in, in that way as well in your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, you had been asking earlier, uh, in many ways, the book is a search for metaphors, too. Um, how might you speak of the body? Uh, and the, the obvious trope is is organic. It's it's a it's a it's a piece of nature as an organic uh, uh, action. But I use a lot of other metaphors. Bunch bunch of them are um, mechanical. Yeah. That a couple of times there's a little machine that's uh, that's not running well and has to be tuned. Yeah. Uh, another, uh, you know, for example. Yeah, I like. I remember we'll we'll talk more, but I like coffee bean heart. That was one of my one of the one, yeah. one of my favorites of that one in an, an enamel music box. I think was yeah. Me. You know that was yeah. That, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. That's fine. Oh, well, that poem in part was uh, a bit ornery uh, complaint about um, about the Irish poet um, sailing to Byzantium. Um, Good God, the, the famous Irish poet we all know. Um, out of my head right now. Anyway, he writes the poem still into Byzantium, right? right. Uh, this is no country for old men. Yeah. Uh, uh, is it, uh, is young it, in their one another's arms, right? And yeah. he progresses to the city of Byzantium where you're delivered from the, the, from the material world. Uh, so my poem in some ways is echoing him in complaint and opposition. This is no country for cold men with their coffee yeah. beans. Uh, I love that. And the music box is, uh, you know. Yeah. Is that, would you read that poem uh, for us? Uh, you, yeah. Do you have a page for it? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> this is the Odysseus Returns, I think. I think so. Yeah, I'll find it here very easily. Just off the skit, yeah. Off the index. Odysseus Returns. Is somewhere in here. Your your husband's going to be frustrated with us. Page 61. <laughs> you gotta find all this stuff and clean it up. Odysseus returns. Ulysses returns? Yeah. Yeah, that's 61, page 61. Right. Okay. Enough of this. No more, he says. Bye bye, sailing to buy. Xantium is standing by when creatures go by and two by two rattling their way to extinction. And who are you to rail? This is no country for cold men, their tired coffee bean hearts grinding in an enamel music box or inside an oil rig. They, there should be uh, dolphins, of course, and whales cruising plankton, their high mournful songs rising through the wooden boats and an aura around the crew, the stars steady and steering. No question of the sharp wind in our wake, salt air and the smell of tar, the wine dark, Seas, no doubt, 
about that the somber and tormented waters in which the waves bosom with ships and mackerel and stars furl and pennants and release fires and lapis lazuli. We should expect sirens smack in the middle, singing, come live with us, come alive with us, the same yeast, the same old steaming desire, under a sun that singes and the seas begin to rise and sweat all over again. There should be more of things, the bazaars jammed with goats and garlic, thick with smoke and buzzings and voices that shout or whisper, yes, and if only, the rooms where children sing, the small green birds, the warm touch of mothers. So I try to turn this toward uh, uh, life, uh, living alertly, intently, uh, uh, joyously, uh, uh, fallibly in the world. And, and uh, I kind of like, I try to end, to get that small domestic image, the children, birds, the mother, uh, as opposed to that grand uh, trip uh, in for Ulysses or the trip that uh, Yeats William Butler Yeats made to Byzantium that very artificial paradise. Yeah, you know that's great. I love I love hearing you read that. That was fantastic, uh, and and re really, I think we're gonna we're gonna probably uh, keep talking about um, the pleasure of of your of this book and and of your work in general. So, in our previous conversation, we talked about how pleasure often drives your poetry. I think I want to say I think it always drives your. I, I'm going to go out on a limb yeah. and say I think it drives pleasure drives <laughs> no. poetry. I think that's fair. In your conversation with Pat Patrick on Historia Canadiana, you said that writing poetry is a pleasurable compulsion. I like that idea too. Uh, and I thought that Body Works is a delightful book to read and the poems are fun to read aloud and to listen to as well. So um, can you talk about the pleasure of writing about the body? So that's... Hmm. Uh, well, the, the, if, if you're going to live in the world, you're going to be embodied. Right. So if you're going to live right of the world, uh, you're going to have a pretty tangible uh, sense of the world, of its textures, its smells, its colors, its sounds. Uh, and so I, I, I migrate. I, I like to go this any, anyway. I always like to move toward the image. So mm -hmm. even as what a lot of what I do is metaphysical uh, and uh built off literary references and echoes it's it's so strongly Im uh, embedded in the world that representational writing is important for me way more than it is for a lot of other people who would off perhaps see themselves or be seen as postmodern or metapoetic or whatever so i have a strong sense of 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 the world rooted in in palpable things uh, one of the things that's behind the poem dedicated to uh, to uh, Stephen Ross Smith, for example, a sound poet, as as many listeners will know, yeah. uh, and he rejoices there. The Stephen Ross Smith of the poem rejoices in all kinds of crazy sounds that he makes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, love. So good. Sorry. <laughs> I love his his uh, series Flutter Tongue. I love that series. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's it's. Uh, it's there uh, with uh, those kind of sounds. A lot of the poems I do in this collection, not so much as some others, embody animal sounds uh, and imitate various sounds that, that are that for which there are no words. That yeah. is a kind of imitation of sounds out there in the world that uh, are creatures sometimes, but uh, of other objects as well. So, 
it's a world that sounds you you resound it yeah yeah well because sometimes when you think uh when people well i don't know when i when thinking about the body the one thing that especially can be associated with a lot of pain and troubles and you deal with pain and, and you deal with those things yes. in the body, but in such a delightful way right it's yeah. like it's like me with all my like i i was in um emergency twice this year for my bowel issues and I, I was telling them in in the hospital I said I'm starting to call myself Mrs. Wonky Bowels and they love that yeah, right yeah, yeah, yeah. my doctors found that delightful right you have to find yeah. delight in things otherwise I think you know it's too hard so the, I think that was maybe one of the I wasn't expecting it per se but in the back of my mind thinking about writing or thinking about the body I do think about the the issues of pain of aging yeah. and 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 so i didn't know whether or not there were, it would be i didn't expect it to be a, a drag to read and it wasn't but yeah. you know we're able to create that that delight and uh and the and the jumping around with the metaphors and all kinds of interesting associations too which uh, yeah. yeah so that that's terrific well yeah. it's not uncommon for people to, to deal with uh with hurt pain anxiety within within humor and humor is a yeah. is a strategy, is a as a kind of wisdom. Saying, I mean, in, in one sense, it is all funny, isn't it? I mean, where do, where do, where do these where do things go? Well, is that's that's in certain ways comical uh, yeah. that uh, that uh, stories unfold as they do. Uh, well, that's yeah. It. yeah, you you said uh, actually, um, you talked about. I, I liked how you you put this with uh, with Patrick. You said. Uh, you talked about the work as a comical narrative, yeah, a personal and oral narrative, and I thought that was really an interesting point. A comical narrative, I thought, yeah, that's 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 exactly right. Like that's that's what I saw too in in the work as well. So. Yeah, something of the same thing uh, runs in an earlier book, a few years earlier, called Departures, yeah, uh, which uh, centered more particularly on a on a on a trauma, a trauma medical uh, body bodily trauma. Uh, but it it contains a lot of of uh, humor, even kind of kind of blunt and clumsy uh, jokes. Uh, yeah. But it's a there's a kind of I think it's a wisdom in in that uh, in that sense that uh, whatever um, loss or or dismay, whatever there may be, that 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 also is is is, is funny. Saying that it should come to this, that you're in this position. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what is to, what is to become of this? What's to make of it? Yeah. So he seems 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 kind of healthy and sustaining to me as a as a way of dealing with the world. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I, I have to all the time, and I, I and I also find when I'm actually in the hospital and and things are it's it's a tough time for me, but also for everybody in, in the hospital, like everybody. I'm I'm I still manage to find things that are are humorous, like. Uh, one point um they in the hospital they have to use the euphemism pass gas for fart they have to use it yeah. nobody knows yeah. what the hell they're talking about and <laughs> you just hear them repeat about seven times to these patients and especially the other thing too is not everyone is english is their first language so you know it's not necessary finally yeah. they just have to break down and say fart like i'm i'm <laughs> i bet across the hall going just say fart just say fart you know like everybody knows what that means for heaven's sakes you know but uh yeah, but it is, it's amusing to hear them try so hard to yeah. not say that word. Like, meanwhile, all this stuff is going on, but no, don't say that word. You know, it's it's somehow yeah. a problem. 
did you did you find that uh, that your your humor or your sense of humor, humor the humor you found in your situation tended to come a little more after the immediate event than during that would certainly was for me yeah and looking yeah. back at them saying this is uh, uh funny and, and and of course i had the embellishments and the exaggerations uh yeah yeah for sure and the thing with me is that for my situation i've been in er eight times since 2012 for this so i have some i have some it's almost like i can even when i'm going through it i can kind yeah. of have distance at the same time because I've had it so many times, so I, you know, I can still, well, the pain part is not amusing, but um, sitting in an ER um, and, um, you know, vomiting in in sync with the other patients, you know, that's always sort of interesting. Synchronized. (laughs) Synchronized, uh, you know, the chorus of vomiting is always entertaining, but but I'm always like, the thing is, like, what I find, what I find, uh, another thing I find uh, good about your book is you actually have, like, you know, it is it, it. You don't shy away from talking about things that are real, like you know. So, so that's as something I, I again. This need to be euphemistic. I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm yeah. not interested in, in the euphemism, unless except for to play a game with it, which is, you know, yeah. that that's it. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, the body works as a pleasurable. It was it was pleasurable for you. It was uh, for to write as well. Then is uh, oh yes. I, yeah. Uh, well, I always enjoy writing, but uh, right. uh, and and certainly this one. Uh, that, uh, it's it's strange for me. I, I, I imagine is for uh, many, maybe most others. I, I, I uh, wonder if it would be for you. Just find that writing about even quite uh, um, painful experiences uh, is it, in itself. I find satisfying. Yeah. Uh, uh, not necessarily that funny or comical, but uh, but uh, uh, comforting almost. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know it definitely it, it's kind of a, a cathartic in a way, I guess, but it, it just it like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, there's something empowering about being able to just say this stuff out loud. You know, I yeah. I, I, I find it and to yeah, I, I do find it. Um, I do um, find it helps to be able to share. And also the other thing is because when other people are um, reading the book or when you're reading it, um, you know, people are relating to it right like you're people are you've written it body work so that people can relate to the experiences we all have you know i mean we all have bones and you know but you just the way you're able to describe it in a way that maybe someone hadn't thought of right and so that that helps because it's uh articulates what they can't necessarily articulate about their own situation which is the whole one of the big points of, of doing it right so yeah, yeah, this is, this is a difficult, puzzling uh, issue of the uh, readership. What what is a reader? Yeah. Uh, what is reading, and what relationship might you have as writer to reader? And uh, I guess more even more more practically, immediately, does anything you do mean anything to to a reader? Uh, is there a reader there? And if a reader shows up. Will the reader find any particular rewards or or or, or takeaways from what you've done? That uh, I mean, I often think that a writing is you're trying to give. Say, here's a kind of here's a I hope a gift. I yeah. hope it's of 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 something of value to you. You know. But, uh, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Um what how like whether it will be of some value to someone but i think uh, 
I don't know. I, I, I think uh, I know as a, I'm a reader of yours and I get great value from your work. So, so yeah, yeah, well, yeah well, you're, you're a it's a value add experience for me. So, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure it goes the same for a lot of people. So, yeah. I, and I think uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe Body Works is a timely book, too, because there is such a celebratory playfulness to it. And I, I feel I, I, it's a timely book. It's a timely book yeah. for I, many ways. So one of the things uh, we talked about last time, or the first time you were on the show, is your use of Cooley as a character, your last name, but the word Cooley as a character, and as an invention, and how the author and the character relate, but not identically. In Body Works, you once again include Cooley as a character, and also the poet. So, and having the char this character was a way to see the body from a different perspective, but also it, there was a kind of an intimacy between them, which I found quite, that for me is somewhat where the tenderness came from. Yeah. This yeah, intimacy yeah. between, uh, you know, the poet and, and um, yeah. So can you talk, uh, the body, yeah. Can you talk about Cooley and the poet in Body Works? Okay. Yeah, yeah I've, I've been thinking about this. Uh, uh, my, my, Inclinations to think that a character named when a character named Cooley appears in the poem, uh, that that third person is up to position the experience at some distance, uh, and it would be, be less intimate. That uh, so yes. I'm not I'm not confident in 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 saying this or believing this, but that's one of my uh, guesses that one gets I, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple instances in the book there's a third person uh Cooley who shows up in the body arrives mm -hmm. uh, and there's a character called the poet who shows up in a disquisition and beauty uh, I can tell you uh if this is any help or interest to anyone that when I submitted the manuscript to University of Calgary Press, the, the editor, wonderful editor, uh, Helen Hajanakowski, uh, said, why do you use Cooley in, in this, this poem, uh, The Disquisition of Beauty? Uh, and she said, why don't you uh, make it uh, personal? But I like the idea of having the third person because there is this figure commonly in conversation with a friend who's making a grand pronouncement about beauty. Yeah. Uh, and so that the figure who was Cooley at that point uh, is, seems to me, comically in somewhat, uh, some distance from me positioned in this kind of comical, uh, silly uh, conversation. But I turned it to the poet. I didn't want to turn it right back to first person. So I turned Cooley into the poet there. Yeah, that's uh, it. Well, and, maybe. And then, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. No, you first. Well, in, in, um, in the uh, body arrives, uh, it seems to me Cooley is, is, uh, is more vulnerable here, so that, that the naming there may work a little more intimately. Uh, he's lost and waiting to be found. He's arrived at a train station and, and he's waiting in, in Poland for somebody to show up to fetch him. Uh, so uh, it, it, the character's name is not I am there, but Cooley is. And I think it makes it more endearing uh, and, and more 
pleasing to have the character named as, as Cooley than I was standing here. One of the problems with first person in a lot of those situations is you can sound self-congratulatory or or uh, particularly sensitive or aware uh, that there, there could be this self-regard can be can be high. It's a danger yeah. here. Uh, you know, so here's somebody out there who's who's really to that poet, but not identical to the poet who's having some troubles. It also it also makes it 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 widens the point of view, doesn't it? It widens the perspective yeah. to be able to show a, a third like that rather than yeah, first. yeah which yeah. is interesting. I can, you know I can't. I was I was thinking about this as you were talking. I can't really do it with my last name because my last name is Earl, so it's it just sounds. And you can't be well. You could be the Duke of Earl if you want. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that, I could be the Duke of Earl if I wanted, but somehow I, um, my husband said in high school he heard that song a lot. So yes, yes yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that if you have the name, you're gonna be they're gonna get after you. My maiden name, name, name is Wild Man. So oh, <laughs> all right, you could go not, with that. Yeah, I'm not doing that one either. So that's it. I think your name is perfect. For I was wondering if you wanted to read either or both of those poems uh, since we're talking about them. I can tell you the page numbers because I've, I've looked. Yeah, so. I've got it. The body oh, oh, arrived. Okay, page perfect. fifty. Perfect. So this is the this is the experience in 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 Poland. Okay. Uh, people won't see this because it's not in front of the you of them. But all the letters every time there's a letter I, it's capitalized here. So I'm trying to play with the notion of identity and presence and and status. Uh, what extent are you there confidently, or, or are you recognized, or uh, are are you uh, uh, invisible, or whatever? Okay. Anyway, the body arrives. The body has been tutored, and it has arrived. It will not leave this spot. If she wasn't here, his friend had said, someone else would meet his body. Soon, a slim young body heads toward him. Yes, the body says. It looks up, hopefully. Is it me? Is it I you are looking for, for whom you are searching? The body wants to be chosen, lifts its eyebrows. Yes, up on its toes. It should transform into a bird, a crane baby. Yes, the body says. Is it I for whom you are looking, I for whom you send? It probably is too eager, the body. It is making a fool of itself. It is I here, the body tries to say. Over here, can you hear me? Would you speak to me? Call and I will come, running. Someone speeds up, a dog lover, dog catcher. When he is closer, the body begins to shake. The body can see someone is holding a sheet of paper. It is enough he has come. Will he know the code? And then he is five or six steps away. Someone holds up the sheet of paper. The body can make out the writing. The body, pleased, makes a few sounds. He has been found, sought. The body sees its name in a sea of Cyrillic. He knows his name. Dennis Cooley. Yes, Pavel Chedrowski. The body's joined at the knuckles. Hi, thanks for coming. <laughs> And we should also note that in Dennis Cooley, of course, the I is capitalized and it makes it look like Den is Cooley. So that's yeah, another yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah the effect of simple thing, such simple items, isn't it? A case uh, even can work very interestingly. What about a disquisition on beauty? Do you want to read that oh, one? 
Okay. Uh, 69. 69. 69? Yeah. Uh, I was traveling with a good friend of mine and a well-known author, David Arneson. Mm. Uh, and uh, we had been teaching Canadian Armed Forces in large Germany in 1977, 78. And this is May of 1978. We're on our way back. We're in London. And here's where this comes from, a disquisition of beauty. Don't talk nonsense, he said. He rubbed his huge fingertips together with a little more pleasure than was proper. And this is what he said. Talking, talking, talking. It must be two or so. He ridiculing the unbeauty of the poet's body. He talks on into the night. Drinks and talks, talks and drinks. The poet listens. The big man with a beard is eloquent when he turns to fine points of female beauty. The poet is pleased. But the man moves on to the most exquisite understanding, the most exacting standards, and the poet grows alarmed. By now, the big guy with the beard is twisting the last drop out of the bottle of Cointreau, which he has drunk entirely by himself. He is sniffing the cork tenderly. Don't talk nonsense, he says. He sets aside the bottle, the genie out, rubs his fingers together. It's hard to call them tips, they're so large. He touches them with unseemly satisfaction, gazes into the room. He is hardly aware of the poet. His voice is clear, confident. Don't talk nonsense, poet. What a woman wants in a man is not a svelte and athletic body, he says, and he holds the fingers together again, exquisitely. It's not that. Women don't want a pretty boy. They're not interested in male elegance. It's not fitness. It's not the same old mesomorph. Forget the smile and swagger. Forget the Vitruvian man. What women want in a man, he says, and he lingers longer than seems right over his fingers and a long drag and a cigarette. I'll tell you what interests women. What a woman want, what women want most in a man is the capacity to tell a story, a man who can speak with felicity. They want someone who can talk with ease and charm. It is 3.40 in the morning. He is rubbing the tips of his fingers together. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I like that. I like that. Uh... Yeah, that's fun. I haven't had Cointreau in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> How could you drink a whole bottle of Cointreau? Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that 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 was a great that was a great image, and you can really yeah you can really just seeing that is you know and, and yeah what women want in a man yes not for men to tell them what they want so yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and. Uh, Arneson himself is 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 a very entertaining guy filled with big stories and comic comic style. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That sounds wonderful. Uh, and uh, one of the other um, uh, books of yours, a, a book of essays, is uh, critical essays. Is the Vernacular Muse uh, critical essays that you have written um, from Turnstone Press uh, several years ago? It's a, quite a lovely book. I loved reading it, and especially like breaking the line, the, the breaking and entering the line. The uh, yeah, yeah on the line break, uh, the essay on the line breaks but you you've got um you've got an essay called placing the vernacular in which you talk about inviting an auditor into a relationship as one of the hallmarks of the ear poem because you taught you differentiate between ear and eye in in poems and can you talk about the importance of addressing a, a reader in general in your work and in particular in body works yeah yeah the uh if you work in a in an oral mode as i often do uh you're you're going to be moving uh, to greater or lesser extents into second person. Uh, I mean, grammatically, uh, the uh, 
a you is going to show up sometimes very overtly or even sustain it or be there implicitly. Of course, it's there in everything you write, an implicit you, but the oral style is heavily prone to the second person. And I love that. So there are the, you, the speaker will constantly appeal to some auditor who, of course, doesn't exist in, in, uh, in the, on the page or in the poet's presence even. Uh, but it, it gives a real, for me, a really attractive and pleasing turn to the rhetoric. Uh, it's will often be more uh, reaching out. The language will be reaching out, seeking somebody out there, potentially or actually or whatever. Uh, so you get it often a more engaged language, uh, scolding, uh, in, inviting, uh, uh, teasing, whatever, the, the sense that there's someone there. One of the influences for me was uh, the, uh, the Russian... Uh, theoretician uh, Bakhtin, uh, who talked about the reader uh, in, 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 a, in a text and in the sense that the reader's almost always there. You can be, can be more overt uh, than, than sometimes or another, but a strong sense of, of the other, of a, of a listener and uh, appealing to that listener is for your own sake as much as the listener. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I do that a lot. Yeah, I like I've I've always liked it. I, it's a very playful thing to do, but it's also it's also um, I mean, it's respecting the fact that there's there's someone actually reading this, right? That you you know, I mean, it, it, it's 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 important, but it's very playful. I, I like it a lot. I don't I can't think of a specific poem where it's jumped out at me because it's it's throughout. It's it's there in in um, in several poems. But did you find, for instance, with with body works that? Um, addressing the reader was it was it pretty much the same as it usually is or did you have a, a different sort of thought in mind about that with, with addressing the reader directly here I, I i think there were more uh um cases not very many of them in this book but more uh, instances of uh the conventional address dear reader yeah uh, there must be three or four of them in three or four of them in here and uh i think those are are, are meant uh not to be particularly oral but to uh uh, suggest teasing either there may be somebody out there who's reading this and and uh i i, I hope that this catches your your ear and, and brings you some pleasure or engagement uh, well maybe can, can i ask you to read right here dear reader uh where is that page 24 sorry 24 yeah it's dog-eared in my book so <laughs> okay i have many many pages that are dog-eared though yeah so. there we go yeah right here dear reader one billion atoms alone have escaped the page you now are looking at. Right here, dear reader. Here or here. Here is your chance. All these atoms will pry loose and take up residence in your own windy body, as if in ceremony, as if in loving you. The, as part of the materialist vision that I'm working with here too, right? They were, they were, were formed of these atoms and they're bouncing around. There's a more sustained poem using that same trope. Uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 uh, atoms uh, are, are utterly disloyal. Uh, disloyal. They're they're uh, into duplicity and and uh, playing around. They run off with any old bit of fluff. Uh, <laughs> you know, forget them. You they'll abandon you in a second. You know. 
Yeah. But one of the things it does, one of the things I think it does is it sort of places, at least for me as a reader, it places me right in the present. Like it, it's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right in the now of it, too. So and it's a very tender thing, too. So, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, uh, absolutely. And, and it, much as it has an appeal, a lot of it depend upon that sense. Yes. <laughs> this is a kind of uh, little little tease that I'm invited into it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was particularly struck by the references to creatures of the air and the sea, insects, birds, bats, fish, dolphins, krill, man of war. Do you see a difference in the role of the animals here compared to the bestiary, which was more, I think, a lot more domestic animals, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a great question. Uh, that uh, that hadn't occurred to me before, that uh, what differences there, there may be. And I, I guess that's surely one, as you, you say, that uh, those animals are domestic, uh, more domesticated in the um, in the bestiary. Uh, the other thing is that they're uh, because they're domesticated. May this may have to do with it, but they're also more intimate and personal and emotional lies than in that book. Uh, so they're like almost little people, some of those uh, creatures in in bestiary. The 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 chipmunk. Who shows up is Benny. Little Benny's come. They're gonna have a little conversation. And, uh, uh, so, and the uh, woodchuck is is there affably visiting the poet's daughters and things. So there, there's a sense of almost familial relationships with yeah. with some of those creatures. But here the the creatures, and I hadn't thought of this until you asked the question. The the creatures in in body works are more uh, a little more distant. A little more stylized, a little more literary and symbolic, mm. right? So there are birds there, but you don't have much of a sense of someone who's actually just watching that bird or remembering that bird, so much as there's as symbols of various attitudes or states or significance. I think in here, that's what occurs to me off yeah. my top of my head. What do you What do you think? Is that yeah. any? Does it make any sense? Does it seem credible? Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there's a, I think the idea that there's more distance between these as well. And it's sort of also maybe taking into a, uh, the whole like interconnectedness in a way too, right? The other thing I was thinking about is that, it, and I especially thought this when I read the poem Beached, it's, it's like there's a movement from air to earth and to like to the sea, like there's this vertical yeah. movement, right? That I noticed more and in, in with, with, um, it's not something, it's not the same type of shape as like, the poems in Bestiary, for instance. It's more, yeah. I don't know, this is this is me uh, riffing a bit, but uh, that, that that's more horizontal, right? The sort of relationship between yeah. the animals in yeah. Bestiary. And this one, there's a verticality here, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is opening the book for me in ways that hadn't occurred to me. Well, that's good. As usual, what weird things have I thought of, of next? Of this, this yeah. would you also? I hope I'm not asking you to read too many poems. It's just it's such a lovely opportunity that I keep, I keep, uh, I keep wanting to ask you to read more. Uh, the The first poem in the book is is Beached, which is page three, I, and and that sort of is where my where my first thought about the um is where the first mention of the different uh, sea creatures and in, in in that. So perhaps if you don't mind reading that, you could read that. No, no, I love reading. Uh, uh, I heard second thoughts about even as I put the book together, and I think even now more so uh, 
that I got in front of me, I, I, beginning with this poem. Uh, mm. uh, anyway, beached. Salt wind in the gulls, thick, thick. The tides wishing, wishing, wishing. The surge and wash of kids until the surf drains in a heavy sucking sound and the world is sinking. In your hourglass heart, the sun burning, the rub of sand slowly moving. The beach is stinking with mud and small creatures dying in their mucus. Kelp drying and the stench of fish. The wharves bedrangled in broken shells, plastic pails, lost sandals, matted towels. The wharves bedraggled, the wind stinging, an old man talking to himself and digging in the sand. Yeah, I love I love this poem. I, I absolutely love this poem. Wow. And there's so much about it that I love. The first thing that I loved about it was, of course, the sound, all the i sounds that was yeah, just it yeah. was like, I love that. That's that's uh, that it, that was just and the repetition too, right? The repetition really, uh, you know, and then the fact that it was so horizontal for me as well. That was I mean, vertical. Yeah. yeah so that yeah. was so why did you yeah. um, why did you hesitate to include it as the first poem? What was your what was your thinking? Well, I wondered if it wouldn't seem uh, a little colder or uninviting, uh, or that it may uh, bring people in uh, with uh, an expectation that uh, would lead them away for what follows. Mm. Uh, that uh, so it just that was my that was a concern. So I'm very pleased to hear that 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 hit for you. Where I where I think now would have started is in the next poem. Uh, that that's here seismic because it for one it's it's a it, this one's really more lyrical and meditative uh and tender and mm -hmm. it, it kind of again now appeals to the reader uh well i mean as in, not that it's appealing to as as in pleasing but as in seeking to to yeah. uh, uh, catch the reader okay so seismic uh and it sets another tone for other poems in the in the book if where we wait and our lives we felt the allure of where they might have gone, places we fear to go or hope to land, someone else we could have been. When we feel and the earth a small shiver we never knew, we knew or would recognize perhaps a God who says she, he loves us, a filament that burns on the cloudiest day and with a small warm light, the beautiful heartache we always wanted. So that set, hits another kind of tone in the collection that yeah. uh, so far we already talked about. There, there are a lot of lyrical, uh, tender, intimate pieces in here. That uh, uh, and that's one of the first I think in in the collection. Yeah, I I really yeah I have to say that really um, yeah I love I loved hearing that too. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 good. Um, I'm trying to think of which ones I want to do next because I but um, as far as the next one. Uh, do you think, okay, so when you were talking to Patrick, you talked about prairie poetry, and many, many of your books specifically refer to the pra uh, prairies, but Body Works, uh, unless I miss something, I don't think it specifically refers to the prairies. Uh, I could be wrong. But yet I still think there's a prairie sensibility, and perhaps it's in the light and the air. I don't know. Other than your being from the prairies, do you see a connection at all to the prairies in, in Body Works, or is this stretching it too far? 
<laughs> I, 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 uh, I have, I have no answer. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, certainly there, there are, as you say, no allusions or invocations of yeah. the landscape or the history or the demography or, or any, anything. Uh, that, uh, if, if it could argue a continuity, it would be maybe more for me than perhaps uh, the sense of prairies is that, that there's always again that sense of a, of a rooted world, uh, a rootedness in, 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 a, in, a, in a, a, a body of an embodied world that's been in all the writing and that's for me that's been enormous in the poet in the poetry and in the prairies for 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 decades so we might say well there's that continuity though the prairies don't appear overtly here yeah. uh, i i think uh, but I, I i think there is still that sense of um of a kind of uh, whatever uh preoccupations or or uh or uh, obsessions there may be uh, that run through the books one after another. Uh, yeah. yeah. I liked what, um, what Patrick, I mean, I quote from that podcast a lot because it was just such, a, it was a great conversation you had. Great. Good. I don't know Patrick at all, but I, I, I praise his ability to ask great yeah. questions. Of course, yours. For sure. But um, so he asked you about prairie poetry and you use the term prairie postmodern and you just you talk about locality, authenticity, radical rearrangement of form and language, the prairies as a sensibility. So that's what I'm seeing here. And that's the yeah. relationship I guess I can I can see yeah. because I've been given those great words. I can say yes. I can. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, and also the other thing is actually some of the people you mentioned, like some of the other writers and things you mentioned are, are prairie writers as well, right? So, you know, so yeah, that, great. Yeah, so there's that connection as well. Maybe that's yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. This part of that world is uh, sure. Yeah, because I had to look up a few. I had to look up the people. You know, when I when I went through, I didn't. I know necessarily know them. So myself, not being not being yeah. in the prairies, myself. I've only been been. I think uh, once uh, to uh, well, I, Manitoba many times, and and once to Lethbridge, Alberta. <laughs> this is where. Oh yeah. I was, uh, my parents drove, um, my, my, we had only been in Canada from England for a few years and my dad decided he would, his, he had a brother in Lethbridge. So from, oh. from basically um, uh, Toronto, he decided we would drive there and he was the only driver and he just assumed it would take, wouldn't take that long. You know, he looked at the map and this should be fine. So I think it was like, I don't know, maybe something like 48 hours. I was bitten by a black fly the cousins gave me mumps, you know, it was just like a bad movie or something. That's all I remember about the prairie. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know that's a long drive. We we have a daughter who teaches in Lethbridge. We just got back actually uh, last night uh, from from there. Uh, and uh, that's a long drive uh, just from Winnipeg even uh, to Lethbridge. I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't, I had no decision-making power at that age. I just sat in the back of the car until, until I... And listen to the argument, arguing going on in the front seat, and going. Oh, <laughs> it's a long trip. Yeah, that's it. So, in the last uh, conversation, we talked about similes. Uh, how there, and this is from you. There was no naked access to the real world since all our experiences were mediated, which I really like. I like that um, point of view, and I think this holds true in body works. So, I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about the figurative language related to the body. You've got. Uh, you talk about the heart in a lot of different ways. The hourglass heart, 
glass, uh, a warthog heart, which I really like, coffee beans, we said musical instruments such as kettle, snare drum, saxophone. The body is fragile yet solid. Neck bones are described as grit. Hips as grout, which I love. Back as porcelain. The bones are rows of soldiers. They click and lock. And there's a chapel of bones, a traffic of blood. Uh, just I love all those. So that was wonderful. And the last time I talked about how your figurative language, such as the birds writing in the sky, helped me to see the world a little differently. So does your use of figurative language help you to see the self and the body differently? How does it help you, aside from the act of play, to write figuratively about the figure? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you get one thing you're going to write about the heart. You're, you're endangered right now, aren't you? Because uh, the cliches have so seized this terrain. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, you know, how, how are you going to work this particular, if you, you want to write the heart with sympathy, uh, tragedy or sentimentality or whatever, that uh, uh, what's what's possible part of it always is again how do you how else might he speak of the heart uh, as it may involve a, a site symbolic site of emotion or as a jeopardized organ the body or whatever so I searched around and and uh, I, I came up with various possibilities including this one he returns uh, the uh, this is it probably from my Caesar poems around the fact I had a heart operation yeah. And, uh, these are you know, run around it. So uh, the operation's done. He comes home. He returns. She was not surprised when he said each breath of night caught him off guard. He heard the air when his chest moved. A ship rose in bubbles that squeaked against each other. Wet cracklings that could be candy. Peanut brittle softly breaking. He heard wheezy sounds in the throat. Small gasps in the sternum. The complaint of a block and tackle noticed the sounds of rigging at night. He listened to the sea gasping into the Gulf of, Ga a Gulf of Gaspé. Could not miss the scratch of wind and rope, the sound of cardboard ripping. Once he thought of plates in the cupboard, remembered scraping noises a file makes over wood. A lot of creaking in his thorax, the breathings of a coping saw. Listen until his daughter said, it's a cabinet maker you got in there. Uh, uh, this actually came, my daughter did say that. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a poetic, poetic bent to her too, obviously. That's, yeah, that's yeah, 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 she is, and yeah, for sure. It's a cabinet maker you got in there. <laughs> that's great and it's also got that odysseus uh it's it's got that uh it's got that yeah you know yeah odyssey in there too yeah all over the place here yeah that's right the, the wine dark sea yeah i love that i love that did you have you um I, i've been reading lately alice oswald's book on um she's got uh, um well, now I'm forgetting both titles of both books. That's great. But the, she writes about um, uh, the Odyssey from the point of view of the um, the the poet who's trapped on the island. <laughs> anyway, no, no, okay. it's really good, and, and it's called <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. It's called Nobody. Oh. Yeah, it's really, really good. Anyway, I highly recommend that if you if you uh, want to read a different take on on um, on the Odyssey. <laughs> good. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, how, so. Guess, yeah, so how does it help you um, to write figuratively about the figure? That was a good uh, example of, of um, I guess it, it, it really does help to bring it home. Like it really does help to make it real. Where that's the... Yeah, yeah. But also, it, uh, you know, why do, we, why do we write? I mean, we write for many reasons, but uh, say with a poet, why do we write? What are we after? 
a good part of, of, of the surprise, the pleasure of coming on something newly in some way or other, just whether that it's a trope or whether it's a rhythm, uh, a, a syntactical shift that you say, ah, that, yeah. that's satisfaction of, uh, of a sense of surprise, pleasure, discovery, uh, uh, being gifted something that's just been given to me. I, 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 I suddenly got this freeze, uh, whatever. Uh, I mean, that's what is a good part of art, isn't it? Uh, you can you make something, and it may be that it's you, you've just received it. Uh, but anyway, you're involved in the, in, the, in the making of something coming into existence, and uh, it can be very exciting and pleasing. And uh, uh, th th even something more than that, I guess people sometimes talk about this as, as, as somehow in a uh, some connection with larger uh, presence in the world of forces and something that's larger and grander than what they've been seeing normally. That's a good, that, that's a, that's a good thought. Yeah. I mean, I, I am so plagued by cliche and stock stock uh, imagery and fixed expressions. It drives me bananas. I don't, I have a hard time. Look, I'm even saying it. It drives me bananas. There you go. I had a friend who used to say it drives my bananas up the wall, which I love. Ah, okay. <laughs> better. Much better. Okay. Yeah. But I think I think the way in which you approach um, metaphor in the book, it's a way of also uh, breaking, like you say, breaking out of the sort of typical ways in which things like the yeah. heart are talked about. So yeah, that makes sense as yeah. well. That makes sense as well. Uh, what else can I say? Uh, I guess what I'm going to ask now is is if you'd like to, I, I, I'd like to sort of close with maybe um, you um, maybe uh, talking about. Do you have any readings coming up? No, none that I know of. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, uh, I've been involved uh, in, in parasitic ways with a, a, a opera based on uh, Bloody Jack. It actually has been produced, in fact, and and, uh, and the folks who've done all the work on that are trying to get it refloated again, so that may may ha may or may not happen. That would uh, be amazing. That would be great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a really interesting job on it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. This it, it was the... A very very sophisticated and, and acclaimed uh, uh, composer uh, uh, Michael Matthews, who you may have, if you've seen the book uh, Gibbous Moon, he was the artist who did the visuals in that book. Uh, so he's a, a really accomplished uh, uh, man. But anyway, those are if that's a, even a reading, it would count as a reading. But it's, it is maybe happening, about to happen. I, I could say I could I could have said, can you talk? Yeah. It, readings or other things going is next time yeah what are you what are you do you have i'm sure you have works in progress that you're working on uh, as we speak do you, can you talk about any of that any works in progress good i'll do this but before we do it can i read this poem that you're you that yeah. uh because here's a i where do you where are the resources where do you get something new here's a book that compiled compiled out of cliches right uh and it's uh derives in many ways from uh, the sort of thing you get in the theater, the absurd, that crazy kind of yeah. talking that seems uh, uh, kind of uh, but mad, but hopefully it takes on some kind of poetic power. So it's called backgammon, backgammon. It's all coming back to me, back when life was good. Get back that loving feeling. We go a long way back, as far back as you can remember. 
looking back, I might have done things differently. But now we're back. We're right back where we started. You can't hold back the rain. You can't hold back the sunrise. You can't hold back the wind. You are back where you belong, blinking back the tears. You have bounced back, back in the game. Sit back and enjoy it, back in my arms. Sit back and relax. You were back, back home again, back home where you belong. I always knew you'd come back. You always come back. Right. Well, the, the biggest one is one that's been on the go since at least 1989. Uh, I've been working on a, a long project, which I called Love in a Dry Land. Originally, it was called Love in a Dry Country. I changed it back to land, love in a dry land, uh, going on and on and on. I've been working on it pretty steadily for, what, well over 30 years, I guess. And out of that manuscript, that material, two books have appeared. One is called The Bentleys, and one is called Country Music. Uh, right. Okay. And I have just sent off a month ago two more pub, uh, uh pieces, uh, collections that have come out of that. Temporary titles, Wind and Horses, one and the other called Love in a Dry Land. Uh, these come from uh, very loose and, and uh, expansive extrapolations on Sinclair Ross's novel, As for Me and My House. So that's been the kind of major thing going there. A few other things too, a long poem about minor strike in Esteban in 1931 uh, and one collection of crazy uh, ludicrous stuff almost uh, nonsense stuff at time called which I'm calling it right now rants and it's got a full file there about this thick uh, so those are the, mm -hmm. the most clearly uh, identified ones there's all kinds of other stuff laying around but those are things that are I can discern and actually name wow how do you do you what's your what's your kind of routine like for writing do you um do you like how long do you work like do you work all day or do you work in like a morning or do you like it's how do you get so much writing done is my question yeah i don't have regular times uh, yeah. uh it's and and uh other than when i'm uh really focused on getting a manuscript ready uh to send out uh, do i work for non-stop for hours and hours and hours uh that uh, I uh, I fought in and out of it, so I'm always diddling with. I do a lot of just diddling, uh, you know. I keep notes and I pull out a few things and revise them, and I go and look up some checks and things on the internet, and uh, off come of that off, and I can drag something into the notes I have. So it's a pretty loose uh, thing, uh, utterly not systematic in time or method or strategy or whatever. Uh, I'm just kind of constantly fiddling with things, but I have things at hand. I've got drafts and notes all around me and folders and and uh, my computer's filled with digital records of of, of stuff, notes and, and manuscripts. So it's just uh, ongoing, uh, not um, so other than in particular projects with some urgency, do I, uh, only in those do I do this in an uninterrupted way for hours and hours and hours. And it's hard work, and physically, it's very hard work. Yeah, that's it. that's what I yeah. I, I like to have a lot of things on the go at the same time, so I'm always working on multiple things. 
I'm not someone who can focus just I, if there's a deadline. Yeah. But I, I like to do all kinds of different projects at once. I, I just, I, if my brain can't work on one, it can work on another, right. That's the sort of yeah. works for me as well that way. Oh yeah. yeah. Same. Good. Well, I think uh, what I'd like to do now is read the, my little note of praise that I usually have at the end of the episode. And then, and then we can finish the uh, episode and then, uh, and then, uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll sure. see what happens after that. All right. <laughs> Uh, Body Works is full of wonder, sorrow, farts, metaphor, humor, and play. In this poetry collection, Cooley, the poet, is once more a trickster, using language, as he said in our previous conversation, as a site for play, speculation, and deceit. The lines and syllables twist in one direction and then in another. Puns are aplenty, and references to songs and books are all part of the play. Figurative language expands our imagination and makes us look at the body from a different light, from a coffee bean heart grinding in an enamel music box to eyes luminous as tropical fish. In Body Works, he addresses a reader directly about the inevitable decline and mortality of the body as secret but necessary information, but he also highlights what shines, what is worth living for, beauty, light, a low arctic fox as a reason to sing. So that's Body Works. And, and uh, thanks to Dennis for being on the show, to Charles for processing, to Jennifer Peterson for the intro-outro assistance, and to all of you for listening and sharing the show. Uh, stay tuned for October's conversation with me, Ellie Crowley Gardner, and Christine McNair about writing into trauma and health issues. Thank you for listening to the Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.